0: Very good. Pete Giuliano, good morning. Early out there in California, it is Saturday, the 19th of September, 2020, and that makes this, what's the number, Pete?
1: 225. Crank it Two, in, Ralph. 225. Crank it in, Ralph.
0: 225. Hold on, let me make sure I got all of our systems go here. Hold on a second. Just got to check. Got to make sure that we're, I think we're good. Cool. We're okay, good. Okay, Pete Giuliano. Uh, it's been a while. I mean, we, we've we have been remiss in in putting out another solder smoke podcast. It's been almost six weeks. I hang my head in shame. But um, you okay? Is everything good? Oh yeah, I'm, all I'm good. Sorry, I thought, thought, thought you were giving me hand and arm signals. There. I'm confused because Pete has a a, a new background on his uh, Skype call now, and it's the N six Q W shack. And it it's got rockets and everything else back there. I yeah. I'm going to put it up as a picture, you guys will see it. you know, you're probably looking at it as I speak, but it'll be up on the Solder Smoke blog. But anyway, it's been six weeks, Pete, and I, I partially am not completely to blame for this. I blame the GQRP Club because I they, they pulled you away and you participated in the, the their their GQRP convention and I, I felt I, I could not burden you with another kind of internet uh vocal intercession here in the same kind of time period so we took a little bit of a lap also i had to go up to new york i was up in new york for a few days so that kind of slowed us down but they they
1: let you back out (laughs) they did did.
0: um anyway uh here we are maybe i thought we'd start with a little travel log we don't we don't do too much travel log these days but um we could can, we can say this that, uh, let's see, what, what was I going to say? Oh, Mars. Yes. That's, it's, you know, in these troubled times with the coronavirus and COVID and lockdown and all this other difficult stuff, I find that focusing my attention on Mars is a good way to forget about everything that's going on. So it just happens that we are now approaching another what we call Mars opposition, or apparition alignment alignment we are at our approaching our closest point in our two orbital paths so every two years we kind of coincide with mars and we get pretty close if you look at it one of these diagrams the two planets are coming close and the sun is completely on the other side of the two of us so we're we're both off on one side then the sun's Closer in. And so Mars is com- almost completely illuminated by the sun. It's getting full sun. And uh, we're looking out at Mars. And so this is actually the only really good time for somebody with a small telescope to get out there and watch the red planet. Because when you look at it, well, it's up in the morning here. So when I get up early in the morning, I, I look up and it is really high in the sky and it's bright red. And so it's easy for me to get my telescope aimed at it. And now I can see surface features on Mars, which is really cool. I can see the southern polar cap. I can see some of the dark uh, areas on Mars, citrus major. I can see the bright area from the Hellas Basin. Um, I can see a lot of the different mates that you see on Mars. And it's really pretty cool. At times, when you look along the rim of the uh, of the planet you could even i think you could even begin to see clouds which is pretty amazing when you think that we're looking at surface features uh, on another planet mars is the only planet that we can see surface features also the planet is spinning around the day takes about 24 hours and 39 minutes so when you get up every morning because of this 39 minute difference you're looking at a slightly different face of mars mm. and so mars is spinning around it takes about about a month for you to go all the way around if you're looking at the same time every morning. Um, so, we're, I'm starting. You, you do notice that the surface features change. It's really a lot of fun. And there is a connection, Pete, to ham radio. Ooh. I refer, of course, the to cup. the Elser Mathis Cup. And, I, you know, the radio gods have spoken because as I was rummaging around the shack preparing for this morning's podcast, I, uh, I took a look and I found the article from the November 1969 issue of QST, an article written by Fred Johnson Elser himself, call sign W6FB. Holy cow, what a great call sign. W6FB, fine business. Also has a call sign W0OX, W7OX. Um, really very good. But he, he writes this really nice article about how he and Lieutenant Commander Stanley Mathis, when they were assigned in the Philippines, back in 1928, Ooh. went and got this cup. You know, They said in the late 20s, there was sort of Mars mania in the United States, and people were very, very interested in, in the red planet, and there's all kinds of speculation about this is Percival Lowell and the canals and the Martian civilization. I think in the 30s, we had H.G. Wells, War of the Worlds, and all that. So there was a lot of interest in Mars, and um, Mathis got into this. He went and visited ARRL headquarters where uh, the old man, Hiram Percy Maxim, was lurking. I always picture him lurking in the lab. But it turns out that the old man, Hiram Percy, Math, um, Hiram, Hiram Percy Maxim, was had many other hobbies, automobiles, amateur movies the cosmos, especially the planet Mars. He had, for instance, a globe of the red planet with all the markings yet discovered. That's pretty cool, to have a Mars globe. Uh-huh. They're hard to get now. I'm trying to get one, but they're hard. They're hard to get. They're very expensive. But um, I've got plenty of maps. I've got all kinds of maps. But anyway, he talks about they, uh, they, they, they they went out to this village in the Philippines and got the cup. And it says here, I'll just read you the last paragraph. The award itself must be carefully chosen for it to serve as a beacon for the achievement in the best maxim tradition. Accordingly, Stan and I visited a store in Badjwo, where many examples of Igorot native wood carving were on display. Our choice was a large carved bowl about a foot high. On its base were two seated figures. Standing, standing beside them were two more figures supporting the bowl. The base symbolizes earth and the seated figures its inhabitants. The bowl is Mars, and the standing men are the amateurs who bridged the gap of space. A plate, a plate fastened to the bowl bears the legend, first amateur radio two-way communication, Earth and Mars, and the spaces for names, calls, and dates not yet filled. Around the base, another plate identifies the Elser Mathis Cup. The trophy reached headquarters in 1929, it is now a prominent spot in the ARRL Museum on view to a 1,000 visitors each year. The moon has been broached by man. With with one more giant leap for mankind, perhaps the cup can be awarded. I hope it is in my lifetime. Very good. The Elser Mathis Cup. Something to keep in mind. Anyway, that was sort of the uplifting portion of today's travelogue, Pete. Wow. Now for the... Now- <laughs> now for the nuts
1: so uplifting <laughs> yeah wow
0: <laughs> plenty of that west coast smoke has been out here we've we've been we've been catching the smoke from from out your way
1: yeah you know when you mentioned the red planet yeah my son sent me some pictures from San francisco he, he lives yeah. in the bay area the gold Gate bridge ten o'clock in the morning was bright red
0: <laughs> well we were i went out with elisa like I think it was Monday or Tuesday afternoon, and she was going to a garden center and buying some plants. And I just looked off to the to the west in the afternoon, and the sun was like we had you never see it here. You, it was just like Hey over the day. The day was very. The day was kind of kind of. It wasn't really cloudy, but it was darker than normal, and the sun was just this perfect orange disc right there. You you never see it that way. And sure enough, that was uh, the result of smoke from. The West Coast fires. Also, I I noticed on on those mornings, I I would check the weather before I go out to the telescope, and they were showing no no storm activity, no no clouds over this part of the East Coast. But I went out when I went outside and looked up. There was only one object in the sky I could see, and that was Mars, because Mars is really bright now. A lot of other amateurs are reporting that the same thing. They went out. The skies were supposed to be clear. All they could see was Mars. I actually looked at Mars through the smoke, and it was, it, was, it was okay. It just shows you how bright the thing is now. But anyway, travel log in troubled times. I, I recommend focusing on Mars. <laughs> it's a way, a way to escape. <laughs> I don't have a camera yet. I, I draw pictures. I draw what I see. But I'm, I'm arranging. I'm getting an, an adapter so I could hook up a, a camera to my telescope, and hopefully I hope to join the, uh, the cool kids who are taking pictures of Mars.
1: Use
0: of Patreon. Oh, Patreon. That's right. We're going to mention that when we yeah. get to the shameless college. That, that's yes. one of the uses go.
1: of Patreon. There that's you go. Right. To, and to you'll support, post the pictures on the blog.
0: Support our scientific endeavors here yes. at Sodder Smoke headquarters. That's right. All right. Enough of that. Pete, you have been very active lately, not only with the GQRP. Tell us all about it. i got a whole list of things that I've been following that you were involved in. I want to hear
1: about uh, Well. I've I've got to tell you, at first of I was uh, pleasantly surprised when I was asked to be one of the forum speakers at at the GQRP virtual convention, and uh, my my subject was actually uh, how to homebrew an SB, SSB transceiver using the Simple SSB uh, project as the vehicle, and uh, so I put the pitch together, and you know you you worry a little bit. This was all done on Zoom. I, I shouldn't worry not. I mean those guys had everything meticulously planned. It was seamless. it was seamless. Uh, totally amazing. Uh, I think they had 500 attendees worldwide.
0: I and, was watching
1: yeah and and the sessions were you know just well put together. it was it was just so nicely done I, I was so show up at this time, type in this number and you're there. Boom! <laughs> that, that that's how simple it was, and uh, I- indeed, uh, hats off to the GQRP club. And if if you're not a member, you're simply wrong, and that's right. uh, you you need to go to the GQRP um, site website and uh, contact the membership secretary Daphne and lay down your money because just yesterday my latest co- copy of Sprat showed up. Have you have you gotten yours yet? Not yet. I'm, I'm waiting. Well, the the West Coast gets hers first, I guess. <laughs> That's that mail system. Anyway, absolutely another stunning issue. Lots of really simple one and done projects. Uh, just and, and it covers a whole spectrum of things. Uh, some solid state projects. Some test equipment. Um, uh, solar panels uh pr- pr- ongoing projects even some vacuum tube stuff bill there's a, a vacuum tube transmitter and the vacuum tube receiver receiver is kind of interesting it uses these russian pencil tubes these little ah, pencil yes, the tubes russian
0: pencil tube. yeah. mike mike rainey sent me a few of those yeah
1: yeah so uh I, I gotta tell you i i just sort of breezed through it and it was just very very exciting uh to see the whole breadth of articles and uh, um they even uh, featured oh a replacement for the 40673 how to replace the 40673 and let me guess 2J310s or 23819s and Steve right. Steve Hartley wrote that article and it was really kind of cool and they show some examples in there and I and I think this is where the magazine and it's thrust to try to look at homebrewers and if I can't do this what can I do and I, I thought it was just absolutely amazing. So please, if you're not a member of the GQRP Club, sign up. It's a it's a modest amount of co- cost. The magazines are absolutely amazing. And contact Daphne. I've had a few emails with her. Just an absolutely amazing person. She'll uh, she'll fix you right up. So uh, that that is-
0: Yeah, Pete. You know, I watched your your talk, and I really I really enjoyed your presentation on the various architectures for SSB. Uh, transceivers, and, and nobody has more experience with the various architectures than than you do, and I really, I really like the way you went through, you know, the uh, the sort of the standard configurations, the bilateral configurations. You gave a, not, you very, gave a very diplomatic plug for Plessy there, Pete. That was oh,
1: yes, nice. yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yes,
0: absolutely. And, and the relays and the switching and everything mm-hmm. else, that, that was great. And also, I've noticed on the blog, you've been given some, some good advice on what to do about low pass band low pass filter switching? Now that you've built, if someone has dared to build a dual band rig, so you've got two different low pass filters in there, how to switch them and how to use? I think the SI fifty three fifty one and the Arduino combo to do the switching efficiently. Yes, that was, yes, that was good. yes,
1: yes, absolutely, ab- absolutely. Um, to that end, um, you in the last Solder Smoke podcast two two four. You mentioned about Paul Taylor, bk 3 hn had built a transceiver around a, an assembly he found at a radio rally. That's right. And it used the uh, Motorola MC1496. So you planted the seed, Bill. You planted the seed. So I said, you know, I've got a box of those. I, I bought them a long time ago, and, and I paid 69 cents a piece for them. So a lot cheaper, They're a double, the MC-1496 is a double balanced mixer, much like the NE-602. And believe it or not, you can still buy them, but the price has gone up dramatically. They're now $0.82 cents instead of $0.69. Cents. You can buy the surface mount version uh, from Mouser for around uh, $0.82. Cents. So less than a buck and quite, quite amazing. So I whipped together using the Motorola data sheet for a product detector, a direct conversion receiver. And I, I got to tell you, it's it's stunning. <laughs> now, what, what made the difference is having the SI5351 as the local oscillator. Because then you had a digital display and you can see what frequency you're on. Matter of fact, they even figured out how to put an offset in there so that when you put it on frequency, it'll actually read the frequency, not the offset because of... The fact of your your mixing process, and to, to produce audio, you're slightly off the frequency of the normal receive frequency. And I have a couple of videos on on the uh, on the blog. You can hear that thing. Uh, I mean, on CW and and on sideband, just stunning. <laughs> I mean, I love stu- I love
2: the
0: direct conversion receivers. We've talked about them so yeah. long, and you know they uh, there is that there's just a simplicity to them. This gets us to the, the term presence. Presence,
1: yes. Yeah, presence.
0: Because we, we got an email from uh, Dave N T one U, and he sent us a, a copy of the the nineteen sixty eight article by Wes Hayward that I think it was entitled Direct Conversion and Neglected Technique. Well it's and I always say it's not neglected anymore because we've made such good use of it. Oh yeah. But in, in his in his note, Dave mentioned that uh, Doug Dumois, who is was a great friend of Wes's, uh, cited uh, was cited in the article as saying that he really see he really felt uh, presence when listening to the direct conversion receiver. Now, you and I have made a lot of fun of the word presence. Yes, but I think in this case, Doug was on to something, and and I think he was using it in a sense that was that was sort of different from the way you hear it among the. Uh, the audio files on on the ham bands the enhanced enhanced single sideband crew what he was talking about is it, it's it's hard to describe but when you're listening to a direct conversion receiver especially one with, without active filters you really do fee- it's almost like you're listening close to the radio signal it's like there's not a lot of intermediation going on between you and the ether even though we know the ether doesn't exist you know i i so I, it's just a strange thing but i was joking we should we should come up with a, a kind of a corresponding term absence yeah
1: there you, go. there you go absence
0: is absence is the opposite of presence yeah so if you're listening to a, a a rig that just doesn't make you feel like you're listening to the real radio signals it's absent at a very the presence. high level of absence uh, yeah
1: absent the presence there you go
0: absence of presence you know we get we could mess with people too and say hey look somebody asked for an audio report just say, i don't I don't know man I'm, I'm not detecting enough absence in your signal yeah. and you need to go to menu item 63b and turn it to 11. There,
1: there you go yeah. now i i need to also share with you that as a result of having a six-week delay uh i've built another transceiver, number 47.
0: We're at 47. Tell us about this transceiver. (laughs) Well,
1: I'm going to just highlight it because I'm not ready to fully expose it, but I actually did what uh, Paul Taylor did. I took that assembly out of uh, solid-state design for the radio amateur with the uh, uh, filter with the two 40673s, and I built a transceiver with four MC-1496s, one one on the transmit mixer, one on the receiver mixer, one in the product detector, one in the balance modulator, and that's around that module. And I've got it working on the air, but I'm not ready to fully disclose all the details. But it is a two-band rig. So oh. that, that filter network you <laughs> saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. yeah. Well,
0: that, that, is, that is really cool. Yeah. Hey, one thing you mentioned that you, when you were talking about the DC receivers about offset. This is, this is an interesting problem. And it, it creates... An awful lot of confusion, like um, I'm not 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 you on your part, but I mean a lot of people when they read about it, they think, "What the heck is really going on here?" And it, it it's it's one of these areas where I think a CW rig can actually be a little bit more complicated and a little bit harder to understand than a sideband rig. You know, I think everybody really understands that when you're when you tune that frequency dial on a sideband single sideband transceiver. The, the frequency that dis- is displayed is the carrier oscillator frequency. The, it is the carrier that is being suppressed, so it, you're, you're really displaying kind of the, the carrier that's not there. And then if it's upper sideband, your audio signal forms a little passband, you know, 2.5 kc's up from that, or if you're on lower sideband, about 2.5 kc's below that. It's different when you're doing CW because if somebody's listening to you with a with a similar receiver, you got to make sure that you're a seven. You're you're transmitting a tone that'll produce a 700 hertz signal in their headphones, so you've got to shift the the frequency a little bit. And some rigs will display the actual transmit frequency, and some rigs will display the receive frequency. It gets a little bit. Confusing. I went through this when I was trying to figure out how the microbitx did CW, and it took me some head scratching to figure it out. Sometimes guys will say, also, you'll hear people say, "Oh well, you know, uh, CW is always upper sideband." And well, no. I mean, if you if you have a rig and you're you're working CW, you can listen upper sideband or lower sideband. You know, you, you're going to hear it just the same. And when you transmit, you're going to be transmitting on the same the same frequency. So. There is it's it's weird because it's such a simple mode, but there is confusion about the offset issue.
1: Well, you know, some of that has to do with uh, manufacturing decisions. Uh, for instance, uh, a manufacturer say pick one, so it that's tended to pick the upper sideband as as the received part of, of the CW. But some of the Yesu rigs, and I think some of the Kenwood rigs have CW lower and CW upper. You can pick it. I mean, you can yeah. phys- physically pick the one you want. But some of the guys that are cutting costs says, "Why do I want to put a switch in there?" <laughs> we will just make it upper, and you know, like by convention, eighty and forty meters is low, lower sideband, uh, and twenty and above is upper sideband.
0: Well, yeah, I think I think I think you. I sent to you the. Um the kind of troll posting oh, yeah, going yeah, around yeah, saying yeah. what why don't we just eliminate lower sideband and make all the bands upper sideband no more lsb and wow i i, I was just horrified when i saw it because well look i mean we could we could all if you wanted to go on 80 meters and transmit on upper sideband you you can do it <laughs> yeah yeah you could transmit on both sidebands as yeah, I, as, yeah. I, as, I've, as as i've done and, and some guys do and both side bends with a carrier. Yeah, you, know, you y- can do that. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's the same You're gonna. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I noticed that 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 suggestion produced so much consternation that the moderator had to turn off comments on it. Yeah. So I think that that one that one is gone. Yeah, but the DC receiver. What about the lockdown special, Pete?
1: Well, I just I have that working. I just put that aside while I went and worked on the uh, DC receiver so i i just haven't done anything more with it it's it's working fine it's it, it needs to be taken from the breadboard putting in some kind of enclosure so that's the sdr rig right? yes yes
0: oh man okay exciting stuff speaking of sdr yes. this might be a good time for us to talk about usdx wow i know this one really you, you really this 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 one really appeals to you
1: yeah well let me give you a little bit a little bit of the history. I'm probably going to tell you more than I really know and know to be true. Guido, our friend Guido Tendali, Guido, P-E-1-N-N-Z, has, has long been doing things with SDRs. As a matter of fact, in the early days of the soft rock, uh, you see a lot of articles and information by Guido. And uh, Guido was waiting for the Q-S-X from Hans, Hans Summers, and he was waiting for it, waiting for it, and it hasn't really come out of the pipeline as yet, so he said, okay, I'm going to look at the QCX, and I'm going to modify it, as a matter of fact, he modified it so much, when when I looked at the board that he modified, it reminded me of what I did with the Peregrino. I took the peregrino and I didn't install 50% of the parts. <laughs> you know, and I just said, "Okay, we'll do away with that. Move that over there, put that here, put, you know, put that there." So you look you look at the QSX or QCX that has been modified and half the parts are missing. So they have since come up with a board that will do the uh, it's a all-mode SDR transceiver that uses the Atmega 328 processor that's on the UNO, you know, the 28-pin device. Right. Everything, you don't need an external computer. Everything is in the 328 Atmega. So it's it's just exactly the same one. And then they use an SI5351 to do all the frequency control. And there's some real innovation in in this rig. The first innovation is someone has put together a parts list so you can go to DigiKey and for $30 you buy all the parts. That's scary. <laughs> 30 bucks buys all the parts and then you're gonna to have to add a few things beyond that. So maybe sixty dollars will put a, a five watt sdr and now the the original QCX used a class E amplifier. And, of course, everybody says, oh, Class C, e, you can't use uh, distortion, you can't use that on sideband. That's only good for CW signals. Well, Guido came up with a very clever idea. He modulates the voltage on the uh, Class C e amplifier so that it essentially reconstitutes the signal so that it looks linear. And the three BS-170s, these these are the same. The BS-170, two of them were used like in the soft rock to put out a watt. In Class E, they're, they're 90% efficient. He gets five watts out of three BS-170s. And the BS-170, you can buy them for less than 50 cents a piece. So, I mean, this is amazing. Some guys are even looking at taking the three BS-170s and adding more so that you can get in. Uh, you can get more like 10 watts. Like if you add six, you get 10 watts. Now the thing that's really interesting about this is the reflector, and the significant contributors to this reflector are Hans and Farhan. I mean, these guys have picked this up. This is the next bidex.
0: I mean, I'm telling. Te- Al- Allison is in there, Allison's there too, Allison's right? in
1: there too. Yeah. This is wow. this is the. I mean, there. You, I plugged into the reflector there's 50 60 messages a day and the guys are, are looking for modification now Hans has done one other thing he's come out with a new QCX called the mini which is a smaller footprint but he's made the mini so that it's adaptable to the SDX so you you can essentially reconfigure that and take that smaller footprint of the of the QCX and use it in the SDX. Now they even come up with some innovative things like uh, plug-in boards. It doesn't have a bandpass filter. essentially has a low-pass filter because of the way in which they do this in, in the background. So they got these little plug-in boards. they got these filter boards. So if you want to go in a different band, you just plug in a new board. And as a matter of fact, uh, there's such a, a significant amount of international cooperation in this uh, a guy in Germany is doing a lot of the pioneering work beyond what Guido did. There's a guy in uh Tulane, uh doing a lot. There's there's boards available. They they already got the Gerber files for the boards and you just send those to China and I think you get ten boards for ten bucks or something like that. <laughs> so I mean Wow. You know, hey, Pete what is what does
0: the display look like? I mean, because one of the, you know, one of the big Attractive features of SDR is that that waterfall. Is there a waterfall no, in this thing?
1: It's a 16 by 2 LCD.
0: Yeah. So, are there, are there any thoughts about, you know, I, eventually? I,
1: I'm sure that's the next iteration. Because
0: I, 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 I remember even with it like a 16 by 2 or something like that, I remember rudimentary kind of I'm little sure waterfalls you can. There.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Now, one of the things that's also in the software. Well, this is... A, I'm going to make a comment here in a minute. This is kind of weird. But one of the things in the software is like what Hans did. There's built-in test equipment. If something's yeah. not right, you get a message on the LCD that says, Hey, dummy, <laughs> go look at this. You know? So so there's, there's bite in built-in test equipment right inside the, the software. Now... I think the thing is, is that they were just trying to adapt this with a simple LCD display. Although what blows my mind is they are not using the I2C. They're using the wired pin connections like in the MicroBit X. You know, you don't use the I2C. You got pin for pin. You go from yeah. from the Raduino to the display, which is a lot more wiring. I, I, there might be a reason for that, but I would think that, man, you could open up a lot more pins... On the on the at mega to do more things now the current configuration and it's a uh, v 1.02 it's got cw in there it's got a um uh so it'll it's got a keyer so they can do cw it's got am fm sideband uh and and with the band packs there's four packs and i think some of the some of the filters and I like i'm telling you more than i really know some of the filters we'll cover two bands like for instance maybe 17 and 20 yeah. so so you don't so you don't need a two 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 filters for 17 and 20 but a lot of interest a lot of big guns even our friend Michele in croatia you see him you know right in the middle of this thing so i mean worldwide it's
0: yeah. really it's really uh, you know there's the international Yes, fraternity of or and sorority of electronic wizards. Yes, you know, with, with everybody involved and it, this kind of global collaboration, I think it's one of the one of the really the, the the happier parts. Yeah, of the hobby, the fact that and and also like like you always say that you know that the modern age is the, is the best time to be a home brewer because you know thirty years ago we, we would never have been able to pull people together this way. Oh. You know, you, I, I remember as a kid if I couldn't find somebody within bicycle range to help me with my homebrew projects, they just stopped because there was nobody to turn to.
1: Well, here's one of the issues. Uh, you On the SI5351, um, for instance, Hans does this. He uh, provides his own kit. Instead of a 25 uh, megahertz crystal oscillator, because with his QRSS, uh, he needed a finer gradation, so you have to swap out a crystal. Instead of being a 25 megahertz, is 27, and when you do the frequency division, it gives you a little, little finer gradations on tuning less than 1 hertz, okay? So looking at the cost of this, in about two months, manufactured radios are going to be coming out of China. I mean, all the parts are coming out of China, all the boards are coming out of China. Connect the dots. I mean, so instead of buying the parts for thirty bucks at DigiKey, for eighty bucks you buy a whole complete transceiver shipped to you from China. Wuhan China coming coming out of Wuhan. So I, I just see where that's headed. And I mean there's uh, there's such collaboration as now the other thing that's important is when you get guys like Farhan and Hans and Allison and, and other other people really digging into the bowels of this thing if there's anything that's going to stick out as being wrong it's going to be found out right away and and these guys are not finding too much wrong now some people will argue well geez that you know that's so simple it can't be working but, but it is simple and it does seem to work so I uh, uh, keep an eye on that that's, that that is going to be i think a, a real leverage to to shifting more towards the SDRs because of the low cost and the simplicity and the level of support from people like Farhan and and, uh, and Hans so that th- is, that's what's on the bench
0: oh man fantastic stuff and so we'll, we'll keep an eye on the uh, USDX or micro SDX. I'm going SD- to say you micro uh, S D X. yeah what a, what an interesting interesting project, Pete. It could actually even pull me into the I, world of software development.
1: I, 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 I see you headed there.
0: <laughs> I see you headed there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Listen, I, I I
1: guess we should take a pause here and do shameless. this. Shameless. We've already
0: done a bit of the shameless commerce yeah. division. Yeah. Yeah. But um. Be a Patreon, Patreon sponsor
1: so Bill can do pictures of Mars. He needs yeah, the camera. I need,
0: yeah, yeah, I gotta buy filters and stuff and 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 all that. Yeah, so but the Patreon, a lot of guys have, have found it to be a good way to, to support the podcast. We really appreciate the support of everybody. I think they've real they've recently come up with a way that makes the the costs a little bit more apparent to people in countries with value added tax. I got a message from them. I'm not quite sure what they're getting at, but they did seem to try to address some of the problems that that european potential european patrons might have so check out the patreon thing if you also want to make a regular contribution you could do it just with a with a regular contribution say a monthly contribution through paypal they can do it too it, the effect is much the same but the big one pete bezos bucks we're still after the bezos bucks
1: well did you, you hear know? from did you hear from Mackenzie?
0: No, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Uh, I, I'm waiting. Where, I, come on, I, McKenzie. I,
1: I keep, Pony keep the up, phone with Pony me all up. the time. Pony up, McKenzie.
0: Pony up. Yeah, come on. Give us a, be a Patreon sponsor. Yeah, you know, a million dollars a month or something like that. It'd be great. <laughs> you
1: can <could> afford it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: but uh, I have the, uh, the the box for the Amazon search in the upper right hand corner. It's got some um, some Dremel looking devices there because we're going to talk about those in a minute. But anything you want to buy, a Lamborghini you know, a $25,000 Spectrum Analyzer, anything like that, we get a chunk of change from Bezos himself. And it doesn't cost you anything, and we get the money, and it's great. So that's a good way to
1: contribute. But I also want to put a plug for what I call in-kind in-kind donations. If you, no. have, if you have a 1955 AWRL handbook, please send it to Bill. <laughs> <laughs>
0: anybody been, with it he's been checking out the prices on on, on amazon and the used copies like how much eight hundred fifty dollars eight
1: hundred and fifty four dollars <laughs> it
0: was a really good handbook yeah
1: hey i couldn't <laughs> believe that eight had some
0: really yeah great so if you got any
1: old handbooks floating around that you're just kicking at send bill he'll take donations in kind con- s38es too Oh yes
0: s38s we saw that that one site where they had uh, one guy was selling something like I don't know how many 29 eight
1: 29 29
0: how many 29 yeah you know I um, I got a uh, I got an email from Steve n8 nm kind of he was kind of making fun of the uh, the 29 s38 so I just responded how many did you buy Steve <laughs> 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 can't have you well you can't have too many I I think Two is enough, so that's where I draw the line. But anyway, thank you for all the support, everybody. That concludes this week's episode of Shameless Commerce Division. Now I guess we got to talk about what I've been working on, um, and it's kind of a, a grab bag thing. First, I find myself being pulled into the vortex of vintage test equipment. Now I remember just just one, a short time ago, I was sending an email to Dean and others, saying, hey, look, I normally draw the line. I don't work on test gear. I'll use test gear to fix rigs, but I don't want to be involved in spending a whole lot of time fixing test gear. And then I opened up my um, Hewlett-Packard 8640 uh, uh, piece of test gear. 8640B signal generator. Pete it is a thing of beauty. I opened that thing up. I felt like I was looking at something, at something out of the Apollo 11 command module or perhaps a, a nuclear weapon or something. There's all kinds of cool technology. There's a cavity resonator in there that goes from about 256 megahertz up to 512 megahertz. And everything is built off that. There's, there, are, there are frequency counters in there using digital logic. There's phase lock loop technology that you lock on to a signal. This fantastic attenuators. And I said, I got to fix this thing. So I started poking around with it, poking around with it. And I I discovered the only real problem was, was that the internal frequency counter quit above 16 megahertz. Just quit. It was working fine. It would display whatever frequency I was putting out. But then as I turned above 16 megahertz, wrong numbers appeared. And it it was obvious that it was just the counter. It was, the, the, the signal generator was still producing the frequency. I could see it on another counter. As a matter of fact, I could see it on the external input for the counter inside. So
1: it was not the generator part. It was the measurement part. It was, it, was, it was
0: the internal part of the measurement part. Right. Because like I said, there's an external input that you could provide that will measure whatever frequency you're looking at from whatever source. So I was taking the output of the signal generator and putting it into its own external counter. That was working fine. So I was starting to narrow it down you know, the, the, the paperwork on the 8640, because it was used so extensively by the military, is voluminous. I mean, the manual can go to like 400 pages, and every little screw and every little adjustment is detailed in excruciating detail. So I figured, well, I'll just try to kind of isolate this by looking at block diagrams, looking at the manual, not really opening it up, but just, you know, sort of diagnosing from the front panel. Because on a complicated piece of gear like this, you could do quite a bit like that. So I, I kind of narrowed it down and I realized that it was probably in the time-based circuitry of the internal frequency counter. So I started, I, like I always do, I was putting blog posts out about this and asking for advice. A lot of guys were coming back with with really good advice. And then I got... A bit of email as I was just about to go in and start sort of poking away at the digital logic which was kind of hard because even though this gear is is made it's obviously been designed for a repairman in mind it's relatively easy to get into you need these kind of extender boards because one board will be on the top of the other one and so you HP had these extender boards that allowed you to lift one board up plug it in but if you don't have the extender boards you're kind of stuck so I was figuring out how to get around all the extender board problems, and I get an email from Dave, V-E-3-E-A-C. This is another example of the International Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards and the power of the Internet. And Dave said to me, Hey, Bill, I think you're overthinking this. The problem might not be electronic. The problem might be mechanical. Here's the thing. As sturdy as the H8640B is, and it really looks like, it's built like a tank, there are a couple of really weak links in there. One is they had these little switches, these kind of rotary switches. But they had these very small little spring-like contacts called tines. I'd never even heard of a tine. And apparently, over the years, the glue that HP put in there to hold the tine to the switch dried out, got flaky. And if you turned the switch a little bit too quickly or if you banged it when you put it down, one of the tines would fall out. So Dave said to me, open the thing up, but when you do, look carefully around the switch to see if you could see that one of these tines has fallen. And I figured, man, there's just no way. This doesn't sound like the right. So I opened it up. I couldn't see anything. God, I was was once again impressed by how, how well built this thing was. As I'm turning it back over to put the, the cover back Bing, on, I see something move, some little thing, and I look in there, and there's the tine. These things are tiny, tiny tines, little springs. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe three or four millimeters long, and I got it. That was it. That was what was bringing down the counter, because it was just preventing the time base from changing as I moved above 16 megahertz. So I didn't have to mess with the digital logic. I didn't have to change any ICs or anything like that. So now I'm in the process of, of, of fixing this thing. It's great fun. I I mean, the mechanical assembly is unbelievable. I'll put a picture of, of the, the breakdown of this one little sub-assembly sub, sub assembly that has this switch that causes the problems. And I've discovered that there's a whole kind of global cottage industry around the 8640. mean the 8640B was designed... 1971, 1972, used through the 80s. I think they stopped producing it in the 80s, maybe in the early 90s. But um, a fantastic piece of gear. I I really like it. I've discovered that, uh, as I was poking around on the internet, I'm not the only one who's struggling with this. A guy in China, BH1RBG, has got a a blog up about his experiences with the HP 8640B. And I really had to laugh because he talked about how he had grown so frustrated with it. One particular board that he was working on and troubleshooting, he'd gone so frustrated that he actually thought about unsoldering every single part on the Ooh. board. <laughs> I said, man, that's, that's the nightmare I've had. I've had that nightmare. Yeah, don't, don't do it. Yeah, um, I got the advice from VE3EAC. Now, here's another thing. In the same assembly where the tine fell off, There are these plastic gears. This is another weak link in the 8640B. Obviously, when the HP engineers designed this thing, they never dreamed that it would still be used 50 years after they designed it. So some of this is just natural. Some of the gears they have in there, they're plastic gears, and they have dried out and cracked. So cracked gears is a bad problem in the HP 8640B. Uh, Dave told me that there's a guy in... Uh, in India, who is producing brass replacements for the gears of the HP 8640B. I got in touch with him, a really nice fella, and he is sending me, they shipped them today, three brass replacement gears for the 8640. So I'm going to have brass gears from Bangalore in this thing. I've benefited from advice from Canada, uh, inspiration from uh dave in uh, from uh inspiration from china uh all kinds of guys around the world have contributed to it and i have even discovered one fellow who has a, a really nice company uh and i'm trying to get the name of the company here but uh bill and i'm i'm sorry but it's uh ere revisited uh ere visited but i i got to get the name of the company and i'm going to put it up on the uh hold on a second i wish i had it in there on my phone I'll put it up on the blog but Bill's got a nice company that specializes in refurbishing these parts and he's been, he's been real helpful he sent me all kinds of information really it's it's kind of it's encouraging to find this whole little ecosystem in the world out there to to help with this one piece of test gear Pete you need an 8640b
1: uh, right. <laughs> there you go. There
0: you go. <laughs> it, it'll keep you tinkering forever. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did cut my finger working on it this morning, so it's uh, it's not without pain. Hey, what else I'm working on? I, I, worked on, I was working on my uh, Radio Shack DX390 receivers. I, I like this thing. I've had one around. They were very susceptible to getting blown up by static electricity because even though it's a fairly elaborate receiver covering from medium wave all the way up through... <laughs> FM uh, broadcast band. They didn't put diodes across the uh, <laughs> the front end. Yes. So if you if you took your sweater off on a winter day in New York and then reached out and grabbed it and you touched the uh, telescoping antenna, boom, you blew out the front end.
1: Hey, hey, I want to tell you a story about that. Those things really work. Those back to back diodes. I had a. They do. I had a Ten radio that evidently was near a lightning strike. And it was for yeah. sa- it was for sale on eBay and I got it for dirt cheap and I got it home and and I checked those diodes they were shorted I replaced two diodes with two 10 cent apiece diodes and the radio works it protects the radio I mean it just it just <laughs> it, <was> shorted. <laughs> it shorted it right to the ground and prevented any signal from going into the the rest of the radio 210 cents 2, well, 10, think, cent, I think, I think two ten cent diodes fixed it I know.
0: I mean, I, and I, I, we always wondered why Radio Shack didn't, um, didn't, didn't put those diodes in there. But I went in there and put them in because I didn't want to have to do this all yeah, yeah. On, on the both, time on both receivers. It's got a weird double conversion BFO scheme. It's real. I, I, I talk about this on the blog, but it took me a while to figure it out that when you turn in the BFO control, you're not even changing the BFO yeah, frequency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're changing the second IF frequency, which is kind of strange. But there were reasons for them to do that. Hey, I've also been working through a bunch of stuff. Just, you know, Pete, when you're building stuff, I don't know if you've you've got the same experience. Every once in a while, you have to stop building stuff and say, look, I'm going to work on the, the test equipment, work on the bench, make sure that the gear that I have that's going to allow me to build rigs in the future is kind of working as well as it should be. And so I, I did that. I realized, even after we've been back in the States now for 10 years, but I still have pieces of gear floating around that are 220 volts. <laughs> wow. And I'm running them off transformers. A few, just a few. But I decided enough of that. So I, I was converting from 220 to 110. I did it with um, an old Hamegg os- oscilloscope. I discovered that the manual was wrong. It was amazing. How you find errors in, in, in literature and even in manuals. But they they had a, had me changing the spots on the transformer. And when I did it, the thing obviously wasn't getting enough juice, so I had to look at the schematic and realize that they had written the instructions incorrectly, and I changed it around.
1: Backwards, upside down.
0: Alan Alan Wolke helped me with that. Got that squared away. Then my Global Specialties Corporation 6000 frequency counter. This is the one where I, I got the replacement chip and then soldered it in upside down on both sides of the board. People love it when I tell that story. But anyway, now I've got to change that one over from 220 to 110. But I think what I'm going to do there is I'm not even going to mess with the transformer, or the AC supply. I'm just going to go with the wall wart because it only needs about 12 volts. So just cut out the whole AC pl- supply, put in a plug for a 12-volt wall wart, and Bob will be my uncle. There you go. Um, finally, the last thing I want to mention from my shack work or work on the bench, I have become almost a Dremel guy, Pete. You know what I'm talking about. Oh. Okay, so this this all starts because I'm looking at um, some videos from a guy named Leo Fernekes. He's a New Yorker, but he's living in Thailand and doing great work in electronics out of out of Bangkok. Very interesting guy. I've got a link to his his videos up on the on the blog. He's done some fantastic work with kind of Manhattan style Uh, construction of PC boards prototyping and gave some really good hints on how to how to make a tool that allows you just to scratch the surface of a copper clad board and create islands just almost almost like drawing the islands he takes a little exacto knife and then he uses one of these Dremel circular rotary tools to carve out like a, a hook in the knife that allows you to carve out your isolation pads but um, I said, man, I wanna, I want one of those. I wanna have one of these kind of Dremel rotary tools. Also, you know, when we watch the car guy shows on TV, Pete, you know, every time they they have a piece of metal that's not quite, you know, short enough. They just cut are always doing that. Yeah. Because they don't, <laughs> they don't design anything. They just go ahead and build. So they're like, you know, like we always say, build, don't be- build, design.
1: <laughs> yeah
0: build design so they oh my god how many times in these shows have you seen them say okay so we've got all the body and chassis work done but oh no the motor and the transmission just don't fit (laughs) who could have predicted that (laughs) okay so out comes this like circular saw like it looks like a disc spinning around at high speed a lot of sparks flying out everything else looks like great fun Anyway, I wanted one, so I looked. The Dremel stuff looked kind of expensive, and I realized I'd probably be only using these things a few times a year, but I found one for $39 from the country that supplies most of our electronics and workshop parts, China, $39. Gaxui, it's called, G-O-X-A-W-E-E, and I have it up in the upper, upper right hand. Pete, I used it. I had to, I had to grind something down. So I was just itching for a chance to use it. I put put the grinder thing on there. I started grinding. It was an al- I had an Allen wrench that was a little too big for one of the nuts, so I figured I'd just grind it down so I could use it. Eh, sparks were flying. It was cool. I felt like a a Dremel tool guy. So a useful addition to the shack. Take a look. I got it up in the upper right hand corner of the uh, of the blog page.
1: By the way, you know who did that? Who did that? Wes Hayward and his son. Roger. They did they did what? Use that tool to create circuit boards. Matter of fact, on their on his website a long time ago showed how that they were making circuit boards using that Dremel tool with the rotary yeah. thing. Well, just like just like Carlo. Yeah, I sent you with Carlo. You sent me an email about Carlo in Italy Yeah. and
0: he got he he took it a step further. He made like a little trolley with it out of like the the A door slide for, a drawer slide a door slide. Yeah. yeah. And he mounted the Dremel tool on the door slide. door slide. So that he could just lower it and draw straight lines and get like a grid pattern on nice. the PC board. Really, really nice. I'm glad you sent that. Thanks a lot, Pete. That was that was good. Yeah. Anyway, those that that's that's what I've been doing on the bench. Now we got another section, another section in today's program called Miscellaneous Technical News. There you go. You know, um, we're still <coughs> in the sits mode, stay in the shack. Looks like some of us may be going back into the shack more completely because lockdowns are returning to some areas. I saw Israel went back to a, a lockdown, complete lockdown yesterday. France. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, uh, th- we're we're blessed because we're we're in our shacks, which is where we wanted to be anyway. But um, I noticed that this is like as with your GQRP convention, this is actually. There, there are, every dark cloud is a silver lining. The silver lining is that I never would have seen your interventions at the GQRP convention, but because they're doing it on Zoom, I could see it. The same thing happened with the uh, ARRL Tapper, the Tucson amateur whatever, the, yeah. the digital guys out there. Um, they had their convention, and uh, somebody sent me, I think it was Pete Eaton sent me, uh, the kind of a portion that dealt with SDR construction. A group of students and their professor at a KL7NA, I think it's called, Rob, out at Walla Walla University in Washington did a really great presentation on SDR architecture. There was like four students and they each took a piece of an SDR rig and then designed it. But the opening presentation was what really caught my eye. Because what they were describing was something that I have kind of wondered about every time I worked on a phasing piece of equipment. So it's kind of hard to describe here. I'll try it. But the thing is, when you have an SDR receiver um, or any kind of receiver, especially a direct conversion receiver, one of your big problems is the image. So you you're, you're shooting for a desired signal and then there's an that, that will be result kind of, from the that, that'll that'll produce an output from the mixer, but there's another signal, another frequency out there that it, that will also have the same displacement from your local oscillator that will also produce an output. This is why you need bandpass filters to knock it down. Now, if you have an SDR f- receiver that's supposed to cover a really broad range of frequencies, it's really hard because you're gonna you're not gonna be able to have bandpass filters. So you come up with a phasing scheme, but the question is. Why would one suppose you have you have two output frequencies coming out of the mixer, both of them say at one kilohertz, coming in as a result of two CW signals, say at the same displacement from the from the local oscillator signal. One is one one is one kc above, one is one kc below. They both produce one kc output audio from the mixer, yet with a phasing rig you're able to select one and reject the other one even though they're on exactly the same output frequency from the mixer. Wow, how did you do that? The way you do it is that there is a phase difference between the two signals. Even though they're on the same frequency, there's a 90 degree phase difference between them, quadrature. This allows the whole phasing system to work and anyway these guys from Walla Walla Washington I had just come to accept, okay, that was it, that somehow the the math, the trigonometry results in one of these frequencies being 90 degrees off from the other one. But they used an analogy from using propellers and cameras, the propeller being the RF signal coming in, the camera being the sampling detector, sampling at a different rate. And they were able to show, I think in a very intuitive way, why this phase difference comes up. So I thought this was a really interesting bit of insight into the way mixers, SDR receivers, single signal direct conversion receivers, such as the, the Rick Campbell receivers, how that all really works. And I really, really like that. And I, I've been in communication with the, uh, with the professor out there, um, Rob, KL7NA, who's a great guy. He, he told me he built one of Rick Campbell's receivers himself. So uh, you you uh, know it, he starts really he starts out by mentioning Guido. They do in that article. Yeah, Guido. They, they mention the the microSDX yeah, project. so yeah. it's very up to date. A very impressive group of of young engineering students. Well, one of
1: them is his son.
0: I didn't realize. Yeah, didn't yeah. That. One of them is his son. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah. It, but they, they they look like a really nice and bunch a couple of,
1: of YLs in there too.
0: It really, it looked like a, a, an amazingly impressive group. So. I would say check it out. I've got the I've got the video of, of the presentation up on the blog. I, I think the, the the paper itself will probably be available to the public free of charge soon. But it's really interesting when you think about this. If you, if you if as as we do, you worry about how mixers actually work. This is a great way of gaining insight into some of the important details of of mixer theory. So three cheers for. Uh, the students from Walla Walla University, really great job.
1: Well, you know what struck me? What? It was not Harvard. It was not Berkeley. <laughs> it was not Stanford. It was Walla Walla, Washington. There you yeah. go. There
0: you go. And, uh, really, really good stuff. So, yeah, uh, great, great future. And they, and then they went ahead and designed the whole yeah? SDR receiver. Really fantastic stuff. So check it out. And Pete, notice how much I'm talking about SDR here. You're this hooked. I'm trying to I'm trying to be be balanced here, you know. You're hooked. <laughs> Speaking of balance, one other thing I I found, and uh, this I think Tony mentioned this, but um, or Tony commented on it. Tony Fishpool uh, G4. Uh, uh, oh WIF. WIF. You know, early in the morning here. Uh, anyway, Chuck Adams has an amazing lab notebook online, and Chuck maintains his lab notebook and he updates it regularly but it's it's an amazing piece of work it's an amazing resource please check it out i've got a link to it up on the on the blog but one thing i noticed you know he talks about there's been a lot of discussion and you talked about this during your gqrp presentation about home brewing crystal filters because the the nine megahertz crystal filters that gqrp club has made available the supply is running low so we've got to look for other sources, and one of the other sources is homebrewing your own crystal filters. Not easy, not for the faint of heart. One of the problems has always been measuring the parameters of the batch of crystals that you have sitting on your workbench. It's easy to try to get them close in frequency. You just put a little, put them in a little oscillator and see which ones are close. But it's hard to come up with the the motional inductance, the motional capacitance. All that kind of stuff, and especially hard resistance. to come up with what's equivalent series resistance, the yeah. ESR, which you need to determine the Q of the crystal. And without these last two numbers, the Q or the ESR, a lot of the, the programs that allow you to design crystal filters sort of just stop. I've been re- I've been forced to sort of just guess or throw in a number and hope that it's right, or look at the 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 manufacturer's specs and see what the Q what range of Q they specify. But Chuck Adams, he has it looks like a very simple circuit that you can just add to the three I think it's the G3UUR circuit that we all use for the for the motional inductance and the motional capacitance, but he has another circuit that you could throw in. You could probably build it on the same board or another board that will give you the ESR and the Q. So, I was I, I really I was intrigued by that. I'm going to build one of those because I have a feeling that sometime in the future here, I'm going to be homebrewing some crystal filters again. I remember Doug Dumas had a crystal filter checker. Remember that circuit? Complex. Holy cow! It scared the daylights out of me. It the crystal filter, the crystal checker that, that Doug Dumas had was more complicated than any of the receivers that I was working on.
1: And, so. and he, he said that was better than Hayward's.
0: Uh, wow, well, it it was it was more complicated. Holy <laughs> yeah, cow! Yeah. But I mean, I I I this was where I guess part of my aversion to test gear came in because I was thinking, wow, if the test gear is more more complicated than the rig, you might want to think about not building the test gear. So anyway, but I I, I like the circuit that Chuck had. So that was that was really good. Any other miscellaneous uh, tech notes, uh, Pete?
1: No, no, I I. But I'm going to reiterate what I've said all along. Twenty twenty. Is the year of new technology? Just just reflect back. We're we're in the ninth month. We're we're three quarters through the way through the year, and look at all that we have seen. And and this micro SDX is just one other piece. I mean, we got we got three more months left. W- what next? Finally, finally, somebody finds something good to
0: say about twenty twenty. Yeah.
1: Well. <laughs> because otherwise,
0: it's been a bit a bit of a bust.
1: Look 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 at the look what happened during the plague we got calculus and logarithms.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Looking on the bright side. That's what we need, Pete. Yeah. We need to look on the bright side. Yeah. All right. Speaking of the bright side, that brings us a solder smoke mailbag. Dino KL0S is sitzing in his shack. We don't say sitting. We say sitzing. Stay in the shack. Sitzing in his shack. And he is homebrewing 9 megahertz filters.
1: There you go. Hey, did you there get you the go. answer to the question, between KK0S and KL0S? You know, you brought that up in 224?
0: I don't think there's any conne- connection <laughs> it there. just... Coincidence. Coincidence. Great minds the, the, think alike. We're it, glad to hear from you there, Dino. Airborne. All right. Yeah. You mentioned Dave, uh, NT1, zero, NT1U, about the article from ZOI and, and Presence. We talked about that. Ron, K0EIA, wrote to me, Ron is a... I think, a heroic shortwave listener because he says he's been listening to shortwave broadcast stations using his MicroBitX. Whoa, that's tough. Now, I know this was one of the reasons that Farhan wanted to do the MicroBitX the way he did it because he wanted to provide amateurs with a general coverage receiver because having a general coverage receiver in the shack is a really useful bit of test gear. So if you want to find out if that local oscillator on, you know, 15.2 megahertz is running. Yeah. If you, and you don't have a scope. If you have a general coverage receiver, Listen. tune to 15.2 and see if you can hear it. But, I mean, I, I don't know if Farhan also intended this receiver, his receiver in, in the MicroBitX to be used for shortwave listening. Because there's a couple of challenges here. One, the filter in the MicroBitX is pretty narrow. It's pretty tight. The second, it's got the BFO running, so you're going to have to zero beat the, the carrier from that shortwave broadcast station, and it's going to, there's going to be some distortion because you're never going to get it you know, in phase. It's not a synchronous detector. So uh, I, I, my hat's off to you, Ron, for listening, but I was thinking this might be an opportunity to tinker. First, figure out a way to turn off the BFO and put a, a diode detector in there. All right, so you wouldn't have a product detector, you just have a diode detector. That would, that would make the shortwave broadcast signals sound better. And if you really got ambitious, you could try to either disable or go around the crystal filter to make the thing just a whole lot broader. But uh, anyway, I, I'm, glad you're, I'm glad you're using it to listen, but I just, I thought, man, that'd be tough. That'd be almost as tough as listening to this stuff on an S38, Pete. Pete Pete winces, he, he winces.
1: <laughs> hey, hey, before I forget, you mentioned in 224 about the Australian guy with the 7 call in Tennessee. Jerry. Oh, yes. Jerry. Yeah. Jerry. Yeah. So I'm testing out number 47 and I run across the station <laughs> and guess who it was?
0: And you thought you were working in Australia. Yeah.
1: Right? Well, no. I said, <laughs> wow. I said, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and Australia's coming through. And then he did, says, yeah, this is something, 7GIL in Tennessee. I yeah. said, I know who that is. Yeah, did, yeah. I heard him. Did you, did, did you talk to him? Or did you no, just no, I was him? just listening, you know, he signed up. yeah. He signed the he, afternoon. Nice fellow. Yeah, yeah, very
0: nice yeah, guy. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Ted, Alpha Juliet 8 Tango, writes to us about Corgan tubes making uh, new 12AX7 12 AX, 12 equivalents. There's a lot of, lot of homebrew tubes going on out there, or remanufactured tubes. Grayson is taking note of all this activity. Uh, Joel, N6ALT, he heard all my talk about the DX390s, and he sent me a real nice manual, which is great because there's a lot of information about the receiver, especially about how to set the clocks. There's clocks in it. So um, I I, I really appreciate that, uh, 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 Joel. Thanks for that. Bob KD8CGH, he was the one who first alerted us to the microSDX project. Yes, yes. And and his story and his work on the rigs, that's all detailed on the blog too. Check that out. Then we got this amazing email. I haven't put it up on the blog yet, but I've got to. From Craig, Alpha Alpha Zero Zulu. Oh, yeah, yeah. Craig Johnson, yeah. Yeah, he talked about insights on computer code and assembly language. Boy, this guy was a hard, he's a hardcore programmer. None of this higher level language stuff for him. No C++. It's all assembly, assembly language. Ooh, man. See, it makes even you wince. Yeah. Well, you
1: know, he, he's the guy that wrote the code for uh, the New Jersey QRP Club had that DDS-60. You know, yeah. this, he, he wrote all the code for that.
0: Wow. Yeah. He, it, 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 it was impressive what he wrote. I, I couldn't understand a lot of it, but the rest of it, I was like, whoa, this, this is really really cool uh, computer code. And, and he
1: did, did say SI570 is better than the SI5351 on phase noise.
0: Did he like it or not?
1: No, he thought the SI570 was a better device yeah, over the yeah, SI5351 I, because of phase noise. He says, oh, there we are again. <laughs> we'll forgive him for yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Tracy, uh, KN4FHX reports uh, on optimi- and on the optimistic prognosis for cycle 25. I don't believe it. Oh, come on. I don't believe it. Be Be positive. <laughs> It's, i don't believe it it's got how about if we kill some chickens yeah there you go there you go papa legba to papa legba papa yeah, legba sacrifice of chickens everybody everybody go out there and sacrifice at least one chicken this week maybe we'll get some more sunspots why don't you believe it Pete?
1: well because i, I i'm hearing conflicting opinions you hear nasa on one hand says it's this and some other scientist says no it's that So there's not a unified voice on this as yet. That's why I'm a little skeptical. And I I lived through cycle 19. And I got to tell you, that was 300 sunspots. You know, boom. Work 10 meters, 24 hours a day, 2 watts, work the world. I'm just not certain we're going to be back to cycle 19. Oh,
0: man. I was born during cycle 19. That's an omen. There you go. Oh, man. All right. Well, I'm...
1: You're you're being
0: Debbie Downer here, man.
1: I I just I I hope I'm wrong, but but you know people are saying, oh yeah, the sunspots are coming back. Listen to the band.
0: After being so positive about 2020, now this well, brings me down. But all right, the, okay. the other piece of that, right.
1: the other piece of that is the technology helps you cope with the lack of sunspots.
0: That's right. Well, this is the other thing. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I want, ironically. One of the reasons why I want to get this ancient 50-year-old piece of test gear going on my bench is because it gives me a greater capability to work on VHF equipment. It goes up to 512 megahertz, right? And so I, every every once in a while, I feel the urge to build something for a VHF band, but then I look at my test gear and I think, I just don't have the the, the, the test gear to work on this stuff. But now at least I'll have a signal generator that reliably goes up into that range that provides good attenuation AM and FM modulation
1: 77 you know, I, 70 I, I watched one of these band, videos right?
0: about the 8640. You could just modulate the 8640 on the FM broadcast band, of course, for test purposes. but what do you think that would sound like on the FM band, say, in your neighborhood? Yeah. I wonder. Well, power, I wonder how many, how many pirate stations over the years have been built around it. HP eighty six forty. You could do it on AM yeah. too. You could put it. You know. Yeah. You could put it on one megahertz, right? Yeah. There you modulate go. Much Much AM. I'm not suggesting this. I'm just wondering if it could have happened in the past. You see what
1: I'm saying? Yeah. To run the signal into an ADE one little audio port there. There you go. Boom. Yeah, I mean, you just, you you would just have to let yeah, let
0: a little, little audio amplifier go into the 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 modulated input. Yeah, you know,
1: eighty eight
0: point five FM. Yeah, there you go. Woof. Possibilities are exciting. Okay, what else we got here? Steven, Mike Zero, Oscar, Mike Oscar. What a cool,
1: what, oh, what a cool yeah. call,
0: Momo. Uh, he thanks us in solder smoke for rekindling his interest in the hobby. We get a lot of nice messages like this. And I really appreciate that, Stephen. Thanks very much. We mentioned Paul, VK3HN, who is another person who's been making good use of, of Locktown stay of the shack time. You mentioned the rig where he had something old, something new. Is the Prowler, the Summit Prowler, is that the same rig or is that a new rig, I think? Because I think he's got a new one out there.
1: I was only referring to what you mentioned in 224, which was the Prowler.
0: Oh, it was the prowler. Yeah. Okay, so it's the same one. He's he I with the he kangaroos.
1: With the kangaroos.
0: The kangaroos, that's yeah. right. Yeah, okay. We got a uh, also speaking of uh, kind of the down under area there. We we got we always get nice messages from our friend Dex Z L 2 D E X. He sent us a song. It kind of uh, spinning off on Paul Simon's 50 ways to leave your lover, 50 ways to get on the air and quit griping about conditions. See? There you go. Dex is positive. So I put the lyrics to his song up there on the blog. Finally, Pete, we get an email from Steve, N8NM. Steve writes that he's been, he hasn't been working too much on radios. He's working on his car. Sunbeam Alpine. Sunbeam Alpine. And this is the thing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. So Steve writes and says that he has been having some some problems with the Sunbeam Alpine. Pete hears about this and comes back and says, "Oh, the problems must be with the timing of the carburetor, right?" And Steve is like, "How did you know that?" <laughs> I said, "The answer is simple. Pete Giuliano knows everything, no, all things technical."
1: I had a Sunbeam but you somehow Alpine. somehow you knew. <laughs>
0: How did you know about the Sunbeam Alpine? I had one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, that's what I mean. Did you fix the tire? The, the no, as a matter of fact, I got it so screwed up, I had to take it to this guy. And this is when I lived in Huntington Beach. And he looked at me and he said, I'm going to fix it under one condition. I said, okay, what's that? He said, you never touch this again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man, this, this sounds like me in the 8640B. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm messing with gears and special glues it just sometimes i think i'm in way over my head here but i'm going to do it i'm going to try i might i might have to go back to bill at the company and, and just say send me a replacement you know a9 assembly yeah but it's fun to try anyway but i was really impressed that you knew about the carburetor tri- tri- timing problem on the well, sunbeam alpine you,
1: they had dual carburetors on it and and one of the ways you needed this tool that's the that's the brits they have these tools and if you don't have this tool, you can't adjust it. And it's called a synchroscope. And, it, and it's it's two pieces of plastic pipe. It's kind of like a U-shape with one on the bottom. It's got two ping-pong balls. And when you put that on the carburetor, when you get the <laughs> ping-pong ball oh my God. <laughs> at the same level, the carburetor's are tuned. It's called a synchroscope. If you don't have one of those, you'll never...
0: Never. Oh again. my God. I'm afraid I'm going to turn the page of the 8640B manual and say synchroscope required. Yeah, yeah.
1: There you go.
0: <laughs> Get them ping pong balls
2: in the right yeah, spot.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, have, When you look at it, it says, yeah, of course, it's a simple tool, but who has the synchroscope? You know, who has Well, you two had one in 1972. <laughs> yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Pete Giuliano, that brings us to the end of. Episode 225 of the Cider Smoke Podcast. I, I
1: hope you have Wait. it cranked in, Ralph. Crank in.
0: Right. Crank it in, Ralph. Everybody stay safe. Stay in the shack. Mask up. Yes. You know, got to protect yourself. Yes.
1: Uh, by the Please. way, someone, I have five steps. Five steps. And it's wear a mask, you know, social distancing, uh, avoid crowds, wash your hands and no loose women and so <laughs> like they had in australia so so a guy writes me back and says on wear a mask you have to modify that and and put in there no berets because that impacts the no loose women <laughs>
0: that's right the beret completely blow the whole project yeah. Pete, so by the way
1: uh, i i was cleaning my beret off because we're moving into the cooler weather so i'll, I'll be wearing my beret here shortly the winter beret. Yes, the winter beret. Yes, of course. <laughs> Pete, thanks a lot. Yeah, seven threes from the smoky left
0: coast. Seven three from uh, from from northern Virginia. You Take bet, care, everybody. Seven threes. Bye.
2: Ciao, Pete.
1: Ooh, that's awesome.
2: The Solder Smoke podcast is produced once or twice a month using Roadkill Computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes. And directly from our website, SolderSmoke.com. Our blog, The SolderSmoke Daily News, is at SolderSmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to SolderSmoke—that's one word—at Yahoo.com. SolderSmoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about SolderSmoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive solder smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the solder smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!